The battle of wizards and warriors continues with iron swords. The evil wizard Malkil will take the shape of the earth, wind, water, and fire. Farewell! The fate of the world is in your hands! You're listening to the Piercing Wizard Podcast, and I'm your host, Ryan Willette. I'm a professional body piercer with 20 years experience, I travel around the world teaching technique and safety classes, and I'm a member of the Association of Professional Piercers. Listen in as I talk to my friends and colleagues about our industry so we can all stay sharp. Hi everybody, how you doing? And thanks for coming back to another Piercing Wizard podcast. I am getting ready to leave for the GEP conference in Brazil. Uh, I have my, my suitcase out, and it's a bit of a disaster in my house trying to pack for uh, a week in Brazil, but I am really excited to be there. I'm going to have a, a, a good time, I think. Um, I might not have an episode for you next week. If I have time while I'm there, if I get a good interview and I have time to edit it and I have time to schedule it and do all those things episode next week. If not, I'm taking a week off and you'll have an episode the the following week, but I'll do my best for you. This week's episode is a really great talk with Becky Crossan from the UK APP's Board of Directors. We talk a lot about uh, business and, and that's something that, that's been coming up a lot more often when I talk to, to piercers lately. I think um, some of the piercers who just kind of started to transition into higher-end jewelry, things like that, maybe during the last five years, they've gotten comfortable with it, and now they're looking at how they can maximize their success and and grow their studio and and build for for a a long-term future in this industry. And Becky is a great person to talk to uh, on that subject specifically. So we talk a lot about how you can build those local business connections, different business groups that are local, making some great resources there, but also really becoming a, a fixture, a staple in your local community, being the piercing place in, in your studio, especially in relation to other businesses re- referring clients to you. So it's a great conversation about that. We talk about growing your studio uh, in a physical sense, like, you know, hey, if you need to put in extra sinks or extra doors or or extra whatever, how do you manage projects like that? How do you decide where the the best place to put your money is? Uh, Of course, we talk about jewelry, too. We talk about curating a a jewelry inventory, uh, making the most out of your money and your investments, bringing in jewelry that you can actually sell and, and, and how you go about making those kinds of decisions. And uh, a really big bulk of the conversation, especially early on, is talking about the upcoming UK APP conference. That will be the the 25th through the 27th of September, uh, 2022. Registration is open now, but it's uh, it's getting close to selling out. So if you're in the the, the UK, uh, if you wanted to travel to the UK in uh, you know late September for some some really excellent classes, you really want to get on that website ukapp.org.uk. Get yourself registered sooner rather than later. You don't want to miss out because tickets uh, space is limited. We talk about some of the the classes, some of the instructors, some of the vendors coming up at their conference, and it's a great conversation. So stick around through that. For my Patreon business, uh, I'm putting the finishing touches on a Filtrum video. I'm hoping to have that all done with the subtitles uh, before I leave for Brazil. So if I can get all that stuff done before I leave, I'll get that scheduled for you. That'll be up shortly. Worst case scenario, I'll have to publish one version without the subtitles, and then I'll make some subtitles when I get back. Subtitling is a really challenging part of it. You can have a program that will do like automatic subtitles for you, but it's a little bit challenging when you're talking about industry-specific technical terms. 
philtrums and frenulums and, and all this different stuff, sometimes uh, it, it might insert a different word. So I do all that stuff manually. Uh, it takes me about um, you know one to two hours to do like three minutes of video with subtitling. So if it takes me X amount of time to uh, you know physically record the piercing, which is really the shortest part of it, then I have to put everything together in a skeleton in, in my program. Then I have to record the, the green screen overlay and narration and all that stuff, put everything together with transitions. All that stuff right there is about a week's worth of work. Uh, and then doing the subtitles on top of that is probably another half of a week or maybe a, a full week depending on the length of the video. So it's pretty challenging, but I'm gonna do my best to get uh, that done with the subtitles before I leave for Brazil. Uh, I've got some other stuff coming up in the fall, but I think you've heard about it enough by now. So let's just go ahead and get into this talk with Becky, and I'll be back a little bit more at the end. So my name's Becky Crossan. I am the piercer and one of the studio owners at Ink House Tattoo and Piercing, which is in Yarm in Teesside, which is in the northeast of England. It's a bit of a weird place if you don't know the area, but it's about uh, now we're away from York and about an hour south of Newcastle. Um, in terms of contact, my Instagram is at piercings at Ink House. And Ink House is spelled I-N-K-H-A-U-S. So kind of Ink as House. in the band. So like as in the band or as in the um, art movement. Um, cool. And in terms of um, what I do on the UK PP board, I am the public outreach person and I'm also um, the vice president as well and in terms of contacting me for anything UK PP related it's liaison at safepiercing.co.uk. That's always a really important thing that I like to to bring up whenever people are on a, a board of directors or if they're a volunteer somewhere there's always a huge distinction and a difference between talking to like Becky the person and Becky the board officer. Uh, I yeah. would have the hiccups. Lola had the hiccups. Everybody I know has the same hiccups where you get those random Instagram messages that kind of get lost in your inbox or some random Facebook message or something. But I always want to remind people that it's not the same thing as messaging that organization. So if someone has uh, an organization email, you know, liaison uh, for, for UK APP, that's always the most appropriate place to contact someone in regards to that organization. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, generally you will get a faster response as well because they'll see it and what it's about. Well, also there's a little bit of, um, I mean, not paper trail, but there's a little bit of a digital trail and, and, Typically, those aren't going to be the messages that get lost. Like when I was on the APP board, if people would send me an Instagram message, I would completely forget about it. Or sometimes I wouldn't even see it if it was in like, you know, the the message request folder or whatever. So, yeah, it's always important to have that distinction between the person and the officer or the volunteer or the the whatever official role. And that's always the the, the most appropriate way to contact somebody for stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you have uh, a conference coming up in September and uh, I'll be there instructing and, you know, thank you for the, the invitation. Um, but I, I wanted to, to kind of talk a little bit about um, how people can get registered for the conference, how people can get more information and if there are any sort of like highlights or new things this year that you might want to talk about. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, one of the big things, one of the most exciting things is that this is going to be the biggest conference that we've had um, in terms of like number of attendees and classes and that sort of thing. Um, you know, tickets have actually almost sold out. So that's something to definitely get onto straight away and you can buy the tickets through UKPP there's actually a little section on there that says buy conference tickets um so yeah I mean at, at the moment we're still at the stage of announcing speakers um but you know I can talk a little bit about some of the people that we've got you know some of the classes that we've got because I think we've got a really good mix this year as well mm -hmm. well um I know that I'm doing uh, a nipple class, a navel class. I'll be doing a, a safe practices in the piercing room workshop. And then I'll be doing an, an open techniques workshop um, alongside Lola. Uh, and I'm super excited about all that. I, I'm going to be writing a new version of a navel class because it's been a few years since I've, since I've taught one. And I have a lot of new material about like tummy tuck navels and re-piercing and floating navels and all kinds of other issues so I, I think I've got a pretty good class coming together. And I know Lola has been writing a new class all about bridge piercings that seems to be coming together really well. So what are some of the other um, new classes or new instructors for this year? Yeah, so there's there's a really good mix. Um, we've got um, one that I'm really excited about is um, Kat, who's actually, um, they're our first um, associate UKPP member in that they are a counterperson in, in Rogue in Nottingham, um, but they're not a piercer. And their background is actually all very science-based. They did a science-based degree and they'll be, teaching a class and it's on um piercing dynamics of wound healing and like from what I've seen of it it's sounding you know very science-based and, and very really kind of getting into the nitty-gritty of how the body heals and how the body heals with with jewelry and a piercing so that's a particularly exciting one that sounds great um, and we've also got we've got Paul King and he's going to be teaching um on his his triple x pierced men in porn and triple x pierced women in porn which i don't believe he's taught in the uk before at our conference um and also he's got a class that i think might be being taught for the first time which is the incredible till of cardiff so it's something that's kind of quite uk specific as well so so we're very excited for that that's great yeah paul always has great anthropology classes and i know that he's been putting kind of an extra emphasis on, on UK history for the last year or so. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think that one will be really well received and um, we've got um, Brian Skelly's unfortunately unable to make it in person, but we've got him teaching remotely for a couple of classes because, you know, with the sort of specialist knowledge that he has and how popular his classes are, we felt like, you know, it was really worth getting him back, even if it's a bit more digitally. Yeah, and, um, I think Brian did. Uh, Brian did a an online class for the BMXNet conference last year, and I, I think that that went really well too. Yeah, so he's going to be teaching on um, his material standards class, and also understanding the APP minimum standards, which um, I think was the one he did for the. Um, core essentials on on the safe piercing website so we felt like that one would be really worthwhile because 
at this point as an organisation, the UK APP standards are the same as the APP standards. So we thought it was a really good point to kind of have that class and, and have people really kind of developing that understanding of, you know, why the standards, particularly for jewellery, are what they are and, and, you know, how to be choosing the right things. Sure. That, that always really helps because sometimes people have this kind of intimidation factor related to membership where they think that the standards are way above where they actually are like real world standards for membership in UK APP APP and a lot of other organizations are very attainable and they're, they're not really as intimidating as you might think once you actually look at them and understand them so a class like that sounds like it could be really beneficial yeah and um because, I mean, we're, we're actually growing quite a lot as an organisation. We're up to 45 members now. So, um, and that's an organisation that was started in 2015, you know. So it really is kind of, we're getting more and more applications coming in now. And I think, as, as you say, I think there's sometimes like quite a barrier to joining, particularly with the jewellery standards, because I think people tend to overthink them. And I know I definitely did before joining as well. So, so I totally get it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that sounds like it's going to be a great class and it's great to hear that you have such growth because um, when it, when an organization is smaller, that means you have fewer members to draw on for, for volunteers, which means you have less experienced people that might want to run for the board of directors, things like that. So uh, it, it takes membership to create a strong organization. I, I remember at, at your conference last year, there were a lot of first time attendees, a lot of people becoming engaged with the organization. And I, I love to see growth like that. Yeah. And that was something that I was going to sort of mention, actually, that, you know, last year there was a lot of new attendees. So what we're trying to do at the moment is kind of have a good mix of classes so that there's things like... Um, there's Ollie Todd's doing a class on bevel theory and, you know, we've got a lot of technique classes. Um, but then we've also got things that might, ex might interest piercers that maybe have been piercing a lot longer or have been attending conferences for a lot longer. So we tried to kind of like really have that balance of things that are, you know, the sort of hygiene and the working safely, like your safe practices one but then also things that are a bit more of like a more of an interest sort of one. So for example, um, Edu Fernandez is, um, he's doing his gold class again this year that he did last year, which is all about like the dark side of gold and some of the negative things that come from, you know, us getting all of this beautiful jewelry. Um, and yeah. he was actually teaching a brand new one as well, which is the rough side of diamonds this year. So oh, I think that cool. was really interesting. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I saw the class last year and it was one of those things where you leave feeling a little bit bad because you have to think about the entire chain of events to get that jewelry in your studio. And a lot of times it starts with someone toiling in, in you know, digging it out of the ground, sometimes with their bare hands and uh, maybe they're not treated very well. So it's really important to understand the concept of like material sourcing and uh, sustainable uh, mining, if there is such a thing as sustainable mining, but it's really fascinating to see all those different aspects of, of body jewelry and to kind of, you know, dive down that hole. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's that thing that it, it's often the things that you don't necessarily think of because what you're receiving is just the end product. And there's so much more that happens before that point. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, it's always good to have a, a, a wide mix of content at a conference. You don't want to have everything for the the beginning piercer because then you might not draw in people with more experience. Uh, and then the same thing is you don't want to have the classes be so advanced that you intimidate those younger piercers or apprentices from, from attending. So it's great to have a, a healthy mix of, of content. Yeah, and I think that's the thing because I think like I know from the first things that I ever attended, you do have that moment of like slight panic because you realise how much you don't know. And then as time goes on, you kind of have a bit more confidence because you've got a bit more base knowledge. And I think it's really important to sort of pitch it at every level to kind of reduce that feeling for a lot of people as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what about uh, what about vendors? Who's going to be uh, coming on the, the vendor side that you can talk about? So, yeah, so we've got actually quite a lot of new vendors that have not in that they haven't um, sold our conference before. So um, we've got um, we've got Industrial Strength UK and Anatometal UK, who of course mm -hmm. you know are the UK distributors for those companies, um, and we do tend to have every year. But then we've also got, we've got Buddha Jewelry coming. We've got um, Dusk Body Jewelry. We have, we have People's Jewelry are coming to exhibit. Um, I don't believe they'll actually be sort of selling on, on the vendor floor, but they will be exhibiting what they have. And they've very kindly um, sponsored a scholarship this year as well for us. So, um, so they're behind um, bringing somebody over as well you bring up the 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 scholars and i also want to uh kind of just point out that your organization also has an lgbtqia plus scholarship uh and and that's just really like amazing to see when uh organizations organizations can just hang back and and try to try to grow the people that are paying to register but it's also really important to realize that some people might just not be at a point in their career where they can pay to attend a class like this. So it's great to offer scholarships, especially to like marginalized communities and, and get them there and get them involved in the learning process and, you know, let them share their voice and, and be part of that community. So it's always great to see those scholarship opportunities available too. Yeah. And um, I mean, this has actually been the second year of the LGBT um, plus scholarship. It was um, Lola, that it was originally her idea and, and she set the ball rolling with it. And, you know, we felt it was really important to continue it this year. So, again, we've got um, we've got two scholars and um, and they're actually both from outside the UK as well. So it's very exciting. They're both coming um you'll have to forgive me that I can't remember the exact places that they're coming from, but they are both coming from Central Europe. So that's really exciting as well. I, it's also a really cool thing to think about how much your conference has grown as an educational destination. You know, people, uh, people travel to the UK for this kind of education from Europe, from other places. Uh, sometimes you even get, you know, some American uh, attendees. And I just think that that's really cool. And I think you should all be really proud of, of the work you've put in you and all the past board members, all the past volunteers too. you know, just a huge amount of work to, to get an, uh, uh, a conference to that level. And you should all be really proud of what you've done. It is really exciting to kind of see it snowballing year on year. Cause I think when I, joined the board we were actually still in a third lockdown in the UK so 
our last year's conference was kind of a little bit stripped down, but also a lot of the organisation had actually already happened for 2020, long before I was ever on the board. So it's, it's really exciting this year to kind of be seeing it growing that little bit more and sort of, as I say, snowballing. Yeah, that's great. Well, you know, as, as your organization and, and as your event grows, you can really see the, the connected growth to your, your community, the, the UK market, all that stuff. If I look back at where the UK piercing scene was 10 years ago versus today, it's such a huge amount of growth and, and such a, a massive leap forward. So, um, you know, fantastic work from, from everybody involved. So uh, as far as community stuff, uh, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about in relation to, to conference or do you want to chat about a few other subjects? So, I mean, the only other things in relation to con to conference is that we will take tickets off sale from the 15th of September, you know, assuming that they haven't sold out before then. And that's just to give us a little bit of extra time, you know, to get registration sorted, to get certificates sorted, that sort of thing, because last year registration worked really well the way we actually did it is we sent out registration forms um online for people to fill in ahead of registering in person so kind of a lot of the queuing was reduced and we're intending to do that again so we're wanting to have that finalized list of who's gonna be attending you know a little bit in advance so definitely if you're wanting to buy tickets definitely get onto the uk app website you know before september the 15th Great. Um, as far as like what somebody would need to register, is there any sort of level of verification that they need to do or are there any sort of COVID protocol steps that they need to do to register? If you're a piercer, we ask for sort of evidence of like your registration with the council or your piercing license, sort of whatever you want to call it. Um, and I know that that sometimes looks a little bit different depending on the area that you're in. If you're in an area that you don't have something like that, then some other sort of form of proof of piercing, proof of working in a studio. And that's going to be the same as well for um, counter people because um, they are very, very welcome to attend this year. And um, it's, again, having some sort of proof that they are employed as a counter person in a studio. So it's essentially people that work in the industry only. Yeah, well, it, it's it's good to, to keep an event accessible. You don't want to make too many hurdles for people. But at the same time, I wouldn't want to see like a hobbyist show at a, at a conference like this. So it's smart to say you have to show us something to, to prove that you're working in a studio, but we can be very flexible on what that something is. I think that that's a, a really good yeah. system to go with. Yeah, I mean, kind of ideally, we'd want to see everyone's um, piercing license. But I know, for example, like, that's not something that happens in Ireland, for example. It's not something that piercers get. So, of course, you've got to find ways around it for people to still be able to attend because they are legitimately piercers. Sure, sure. Well, that's all good. Um, is, as far as COVID, I know that uh, a lot of the world is kind of moving out away from COVID protocols being so strict. I, I know that just seasonally, with it being in September, the numbers are likely to be much lower than they will be, I'm sure, around, you know, holiday time or whatever. But my own yeah. my own personal preferences aside, I would say that, you know, anyone who feels more comfortable with a mask, wear a mask, uh, although I, I'm sure that most areas won't require a mask at this point. 
Um, I would encourage it to anybody who feels more comfortable with one. And then if you don't uh, feel comfortable wearing a mask, I, I understand it. I don't like wearing them either these days, but I would also encourage people if you're going to any sort of larger event, any sort of social group gathering, just for courtesy, for your for yourself, for others to protect everybody, not a bad idea to get something like a lateral flow, a, a rapid uh, test uh, in advance, you know, maybe the day before you depart or maybe the day of or something. And it's not a bad idea to, to check yourself um, after attending a conference too, because any sort of social group, you do have that potential for transmission in the world we live in. So I just want to kind of keep that on people's minds too, whether or not there's any sort of you know, requirements or regulations or restrictions or things like that. I do want everybody to be respectful of, of those around them in relation to COVID. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it is something that we've talked about as well, about, you know, encouraging people to ask each other whether they want a hug and that sort of thing, you know, just oh, to sure. kind of keep everyone's boundaries in place as well. Even in general, I don't, maybe it, a little bit because of COVID, maybe a little bit because I'm just like a grump. But I, I'm not crazy about <laughs> hugging people, you know, like I'll, I'll I, at this point, I, I'm not even crazy about handshaking people. I'm OK with like a yeah. fist bump. But usually most of the time I prefer just like a, a nod and a wave and just say hello. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we don't we don't need to be making out to greet each other. <laughs> so um, anything else uh, on your mind conference related? No, I, I think that's pretty much everything. There's still a lot more classes to announce there's still a lot more um vendors to announce so yeah i think that covers quite a lot of what's happening sure well you know i want to tell everybody out there too you know follow the uk app social media on uh, on instagram and, and on facebook and i've been paying attention to all the uh the instructor announcements and, and things like that you know sharing the stuff for, for, for my classes and uh, if you're interested in going to conference, probably better to do it sooner rather than later in regards to registration. So go ahead and check out the, the UK APP website. And, and what's that one more time for people? So, yeah, it's um, www.ukapp.org.uk. Well, aside from that, um, I know that there were a few other subjects on your mind and bringing it back to kind of community, but in a different way. Um, I know that you wanted to talk about kind of getting more involved in, in a local business community. And, and by that, do you mean talking to other piercers in your area or do you mean talking to more like experienced business people in your area and talking more about the resources that a, that a manager or a business owner would need? Yeah, so it's actually more kind of to do with working alongside other businesses in, in your local area, which of course, if you have other piercers in your local area, that might involve that as well I mean personally where I am I do have a good relationship with other studios but they are in other towns so whilst we do send clients to each other for various things that that one or the other doesn't do it's um it doesn't kind of really fall into this thing of um of the business forum that I'm involved with because that's very specifically to the small town that I'm in um mm -hmm. and yeah, so basically it's um, alongside being on the UKPP board and, and running my studio, I'm on the board of directors for my local business forum. So the town I'm in, it's, it's called Yarm. It's quite a small town. Um, I did admittedly have to Google a population. According to the 2011 census, it was about eight and a half thousand people. So it is quite a small place. Um, 
But the interesting thing about it is it's also like a part of Teesside and also kind of a part of North Yorkshire. So there's a lot of other places that are very nearby that are very sort of five, ten minute drive away. So you do get like quite a lot of business to that area. Yeah. Um, and what happened was um, basically we set up a business forum and it was all about increasing footfall on the high street and um trying to make the town itself into a destination and getting people to shop locally. Um, Cause there's this thing, I don't know whether it's, it's a concept that's talked about like elsewhere in the world, but certainly it's, it's a big thing that's talked about in the UK is this concept of the death of the high street. And it's kind of this thing that as a lot of business has moved online and, you know, people also from like COVID and that sort of thing are maybe going out less. Um, the, it's the idea that bricks and mortar shops are kind of getting less footfall and it's all about trying to sort of bring people back. And I think it's an interesting thing because as piercers, you know, like hairdressers or tattooists or anything like that, we're kind of offering a service. So you can't like get pierced online but of course you can buy jewellery online and that sort of thing and you tend to find that if there's a decline in how many people are coming to a town for like other things like general shopping or that sort of thing that's going to then have a knock-on effect for kind of the more service industry businesses even if it's not right away yeah i um i know that a lot of business districts have been in kind of a Decline might not be the right word, but you know, they're, they're contracting a little bit. They, you, you see less foot traffic. Um, for, for my city, we also have like kind of a, a downtown business organization and they, they're constantly trying to have reasons for people to, to come down to the, the main street area, you know, that what you would call in the UK, like, you know, the high street area, um, trying to make events, trying to highlight businesses, trying to get people to to come downtown and, and shop with those local businesses and maybe trying to focus more on uh, the, the independent businesses rather than corporation businesses. And it can be really challenging because, as you said, people go to Google or Amazon uh, a lot of times to buy something. And if they're doing that for whatever reason they need to leave their house after a while, they're not going to be out and about and saying like, well, let's maybe think about getting a new piercing or new jewelry while we're out and about. So I'm sure it can be, be challenging if you're in a, an area that requires a lot of foot traffic to be seen. Yeah. And I mean, that's the interesting thing, as you say, with um, like focusing on like smaller businesses, that's kind of exactly that board for the Yarn Business Forum is made up of that. So it's all, people that are business owners but that it's specifically like independent businesses I think in the case of one of them he has like one other business in another town over but generally in most cases that person's shop or or whatever other business it is is that one sort of physical place that's on our high street so mm -hmm. it is very much a focus on um on sort of community and working collaboratively and like I'm a big believer um, in this context and in the context of like, you know, um, educating peers that idea of like a rising tide raises all ships. You know, I really do think that sometimes even the things that maybe don't benefit 
you directly sometimes in in being involved and making them happen you know it kind of helps everybody and I think that's particularly true like when you're talking about business and and places that are very close to each other I've gone to a couple different local business forums and I've learned some really important lessons and people who have been in business for 10 or 20 years, they, they might not be able to tell you how to pierce somebody or sell jewelry or how to deal with troubleshooting, but they can be fantastic resources if you need to know, all right, I, I need a plumber or I need someone to fix tiling or for new signage or, you know, what do I do about a parking situation or trash collection, all those different things. It's great to be able to have resources of other local business people that know how to deal with those issues based on their experience. So those forums are hugely beneficial. You don't have to be super like um, anti-establishment when it comes to piercing. I mean, you can be punk rock or anti-establishment or goth or whatever you want to be as your person and uh, as your kind of business persona, but still it, it helps to put on your like adult hat and your, your business person hat and, and get advice from other experienced business people. So forums like that are a fantastic resource. Yeah. And I mean, that's the great thing because it's like an official organization. We've been able to work alongside the local council and, you know, there's been things like there's been post COVID restart grants. And one of the things that we did with that was actually, um, hired somebody to do social media for the town so we'd set up like an Instagram page but then as time had gone on because it was people doing it voluntarily in amongst all the other things that they do it had kind of fallen apart a little bit so you know that sort of restart money was actually used to um, hire somebody that's a social media manager and she runs the social media and she she does a mixture of things of like making the town a destination in terms of like as a day out and, and fun things to do but also we'll promote businesses you know if they're doing an event or new shops and things as well so so yeah it's kind of given us a little bit more legitimacy that then we can kind of discuss things more with with sort of the officials in the sense of it being the council sure yeah and it can really unlock a different kind of layer of of business when you're seen as like a, a local staple. Sometimes tattoo shops, piercing shops can kind of get, you know, marginalized into that category of like, oh, they're the weirdos. We don't want to tie them into the same category as where you would go for nice shoes or a nice dinner or to get your hair done or something like that. Sometimes there's like an intimidation factor from, from creating relationships with the people in the, the body art industry and the community. So if, if you can kind of get through that door and be seen as a more, legitimate professional kind of business and then you can get tied into it to say well come downtown and go here for lunch and go here for this and then you know go here and, and get a beautiful body piercing or, or get some upgraded body jewelry it's it's fantastic if you can be kind of seen in that same sort of space yeah and I mean that's the thing like I tend to find if I'm chatting to people I ask you know what you're doing after this that sort of thing and sometimes if they're not from the area they'll say oh well actually we we're going to get a coffee where would you recommend or is there any cool shops and you know I always know places to recommend and equally like I get a lot of particularly beauticians or hairdressers if they've been talking piercings with the clients and then they've told them to come and see me so so that does work really well as well yeah yeah sometimes people forget about 
traditional grassroots business to business marketing, creating relationships with people where you can refer someone to say, well, go here if you want to shop for X, Y, or Z, or get this other service that we don't provide. And then at the same time, those businesses will say, oh, well, you know, make sure you go here for a piercing. I, I know that they're great and they have gorgeous jewelry and they're involved in this organization all that time. It can really help to remove some of that intimidation factor for new clients. Yeah, and I think having that business community and in particularly somewhere that's quite a small area, I think it works really well. The area that we're in, kind of most of the shops and businesses are all on one physical high street. You know, there's a couple of, you know, other pieces off that have a few businesses. But generally, you know, if if you're directing somebody to somewhere, it's essentially which direction they're going on this same road. So I think that kind of works well for that sort of cross promotion as well, because somebody's always kind of in walking distance of wherever you're going to be recommending. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And it's really smart. I'm sure the other businesses that you're, you know, have, building those relationships with really appreciate it. And it, it kind of creates that business community. It's less adversarial. So if you need help with something, you know, if you have an issue where you have to deal with licensing or you know just what the behind the scenes stuff that business owners don't have fun doing uh it really helps to have connections out there so if you need to say like well can you help me get in touch with somebody about a grant or about certain licensure or hey can i ask you a question about insurance or utilities or all those different nuts and bolts things that that make like a brick and border business operate it's great to have additional resources and have it be like-minded business people that that can maybe ask you some questions too all the, all that stuff sounds really fantastic and sometimes younger piercers and and newer business owners might not think about those things i, I i've talked to other piercers before where they've kind of started there as a business before they've even opened up or before they've even signed a lease, they want to get involved in those local business uh, operator communities so they can get some like some good education, some good advice about how to how to open their business more efficiently. And all those things can can be really, really beneficial to, to newer and existing business owners. Yeah, and I think that's the thing, you know, I think it's quite easy sort of in our industry to feel a little bit intimidated going into that sort of context because it's like you know it might seem quite corporate or you know those people might feel like proper adults and you know the way that I maybe don't feel like I am but I I have found that just everybody's been really great and actually have been kind of really interesting and kind of quite pleased really that that somebody from the piercing industries come along and, and wanted to talk to them and wanted to, to work with them. Yeah, I, I think it can help avoid a lot of dirty looks too. Sometimes a <laughs> business owner might kind of look down their nose and say like, oh yeah, I don't want to deal with those people, those pierced people or whatever. So it's it's great for them to kind of put put a face on your business and to know like, oh yeah, that's that's Becky, you know, go and get pierced. Um, it's nice to have that. Uh, and, and it's nice to know the name of the people that are in the businesses down the street from from your business. And uh, all that really c- creates that community atmosphere rather than just kind of like nameless, faceless businesses. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's kind of in, in a lot of ways, I think it's the only way a lot of bricks and mortar shops will kind of survive in the modern age is, you know, very much being a personality, you know, and being seen rather than just as you say, it being like, you know, faceless 
businesses that maybe don't interact with each other or with other people. Yeah, I think I've gotten like online is one kind of marketing that the sometimes with Instagram or Facebook, if I'm trying to to be the shop, I'm the shop talking about what the shop can do. That's one kind of marketing. But then there also needs to be that local marketing where people know that once they walk through the door, they're getting pierced by a person. This is what the person looks like. Um, and, and it really helps to kind of create that bond between them and your business and not just them and like whatever random business that they that they pull up on Google and that comes up first. Like it's it's important to, to create relationships and, and communities to, to, to thrive long term and also being involved in, in stuff like that helps to kind of understand some of the bureaucracy. Maybe it, it's also a little intimidating for newer business people or, or people in our community, our industry to really understand all the, the paperwork side of it and the bureaucracy side of it and how to maybe take advantage of, of things like certain, you know, tax stuff or, or whatever. So it's great to be able to draw on people that, uh, that already have some of those experiences. So I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit too about your, your growth as a business, because, um, you know, you mentioned a few things that I, I think lots of businesses stumble with and it, you know, a lot of it's related to growth. And I, I know that I had those stumbles. I, I think that if I could go back in time and talk to 21 year old Ryan and say like, these are some things that you're, you're going to have to learn the hard way, but you know, maybe you can try to do these things early on and, and save yourself some headaches and hassle and money down the road. And I, I feel like every business owner has at least a few of those similar things. So um, what's some of the stuff that you would want people to know about growing a studio and, and how you maybe kind of get to where you want to be as a business person? I think it's always one of those things that when you're looking at things in hindsight, you can kind of see some of the mistakes you made. And I think sometimes that's really important, you know? So like, for example, one of the, one of the big things for me was, um, you know, starting to work with jewellery that, you know, verified materials and that meets APP and UK APP standards. Because when I started piercing, I did start piercing with externally threaded jewellery. You know, it, it was apparently titanium, but of course, you know, you don't have the mill certificates for that sort of thing to prove it. And I think quite often you kind of don't know what you don't know, if you see what I mean. And I'd started... Sure. But, you know, reading things online, particularly. Um, and then I, I mean, I don't know if I can mention brands, but I fell in love with, with a particular brand and I decided, right, okay, I'm going to save up some money. I'm going to place an order. And I did. And it was beautiful stuff. It, you know, met APP standards, but it was kind of in a cabinet with all of these externally threaded things that of course were far cheaper and kind mm -hmm. of it almost dra dragged the appearance of the jewelry that I was displaying down. Um, but alongside that, I'd also essentially done the one thing you should never do, I realise now, which was kind of choose stuff that you think is cool rather than choose <laughs> stuff that you think clients are going to like so I'd like chosen all sorts of like crazy color combinations of stuff thinking and I think my thinking with it was well okay then I'm offering something that people can't get anywhere else and I think I hadn't really started to properly understand that actually you know you can sell CZs you know in 
in nice settings and that's still something that people can't necessarily get anywhere else or as many places I think particularly obviously the UK industry is changing but certainly at the time it, it was still going to be quite a new thing to have things of that that higher standard so I think that was one of my big things was kind of understanding that actually a lot of what you're going to sell are going to be clear CZs, it's going to be bezel setting, prong settings, that sort of thing. And it kind of makes more sense to kind of have a few wild cards and then a lot of staple things rather than the other way around and people looking at stuff and going, yeah, but do you have anything in white CZ? <laughs> so, so that was one of the big things for me. Yeah, I, I learned that lesson the hard way too. I still have... <laughs> I still have some of those like those pieces in my display case that I love and I love to look at, but I would love to sell it one day. And, you know, not a lot of not a lot of takers on on some of those color combinations I picked a few years ago at this point, you know, so I get that um, if if you're a shop that has a lot of traffic, a lot of business, uh, tons and tons of jewelry. I think you can probably get away with that more. I don't have that kind of shop. I don't have a shop where there's a hundred people walking through the door every day. So I, I really do have to pick and choose jewelry that people will respond to on more of like a, a mass appeal kind of level. You know, a lot of things that have neutral stones, maybe fancy settings or, you know, maybe a white gold version and a yellow gold version. But I'm, I'm probably not at a point in my career where I'm going to make a lot of wild color choices and gem choices, unless I get a specific request for it. Yeah. I mean, that that's the same thing for me. What I try and do when I put jewelry orders in is sometimes I'll pick something that I'm like, mm, this might not sell so quickly, but it'll be the right thing for the right person. And it looks very pretty in the cabinets and until it is, but I've definitely learned sort of not to kind of, put all of the focus on those unusual crazy things because a lot of people you know it, it's actually a big thing for them to get that piercing they don't want something that's like way out there that they've never seen before they want something that's like quite understated and quite elegant and I think now I try and focus on that and kind of think oh, okay I would wear that but that doesn't necessarily mean that my clients would sure yeah, the, the modern piercer is very spoiled in relation to how many <laughs> options they have in, in front of them to order. But you also have to think about the modern client and some clients out there, their personal preferences are going to be, yeah, I want something wild and crazy and completely unique. But I think there's a lot more clients out there where they just want something cute that kind of reminds them of something cute that they've already seen, or, or they want something similar to, to what they've seen on Instagram or wherever, you know? Um, so take chances, but at the end of the day, it's a lot, it's a lot more difficult to grow a business when you don't have income from you selling those pieces that you, that you paid for and that you brought in. So you, you have to yeah. kind of look at it as what your business can, can manage for, for my business. I don't think that I can sell a ton of, crazy stuff these days so i'll get some crazy stuff but i'm probably going to focus more on stuff that i know i can sell a little bit more easily yeah and i think that's the thing and i think that kind of definitely sort of slowed down my moving over to, to verified jewelry and meeting those standards and it was really 
like the next step was actually realizing that okay if i buy a bunch of like white czs and you know a couple of other colors like people tend to like a lot of blues and that sort of thing and then you've got that thing where you can sell some and then reinvest that money and sort of start very gradually growing the jewelry collection which is what i did but i think the big turning point was for quite a long time i still had good quality jewelry and then a couple of shelves and cabinets of stuff that was less good quality you know I'd kind of moved away from external but there was definitely still like a cheaper option that I, I knew wasn't as good and I, I think that again that kind of set me back a little bit because I was looking you know you ha had to have that conversation of like okay well like this is better but this is cheaper you know mm. and, and I feel like in in many ways that's kind of one of the worst hurdles to get over because a lot of clients can't see the difference between those things you know we know because we're piercers but for a lot of people they might not be able to physically see enough of a difference to justify a price difference for those yeah ab absolutely um one of the harder things that i had to do in my career to, to really grow was you have to make the conscious decision sometimes that you can't you can't have the entire piercing market. You can't make everybody happy on an equal level. So if you want to be the the studio that's the destination for people to come and get the best of the best, high quality jewelry, great sterilization, piercings that heal well and all that stuff, sometimes you have to kind of make a decision to abandon things or move on from things that were your staples for a long time. I, I was in a really similar position because I also started with externally threaded jewelry and it was just mystery metal, steel, a lot of low quality stuff. And there were points in my career where I had to say like, yes, I would love to be able to, to sell you jewelry for $5 or $10, or I would love to be able to do a piercing for, for $35 with jewelry included, but I just can't do that at the quality and the safety level that I want to offer. So I, I have to kind of move on into this other tier and, you know, it, it, it's tough. It's tough to make that decision sometimes, but I, I, I think that sometimes it, it is necessary for, for you to be able to grow as a business and as a professional. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that, that for me, one of the best things I did was kind of suddenly sort of drawing a line and thinking, okay, if, if I want to meet APP and UK APP standards, I can't sell some of these things. And rather than kind of trying to gradually fizzle it out, I got to a certain point where there was a small amount and I thought, okay, that's it now. I'm going to take it out of the cabinets. And yes, that'll mean that there'll be less of a selection for people to choose from initially. But I know that I can, you know, gradually reinvest and kind of build that jewellery range, which, which is definitely what I've done. But it was... A bit of a scary thing of taking that plunge and going okay right the cheap option isn't available anymore and to be honest I didn't actually lose that many clients for it because I think you know anybody that maybe was a bit unsure at first did gradually sort of come around usually once they saw the quality of what was there and you know had a little bit more of an understanding of it from conversations and things rather than just having two white CZs side by side that in their head is the same thing, but two different prices. Sure. Sure. Well, you know, it, it's, it's great to, 
you know, to, to talk about your experience with that. And, you know, I, I have a, a very similar kind of experience with it. So those, some of those piercers out there listening might feel like they're in the same kind of position and they might be on that, that line where they have to maybe decide to, to move on from certain things or, you know, abandon certain tiers of, of quality jewelry, maybe even clientele. So, um, it's a recurring theme that I hear when I talk to a lot of people about how they grew and how they went from where they were to where they are now, or, or how they're, they're moving forward to where they want to be. And, and, um, if there are people out there listening who feel like they can't do it, you know, I, I want you to hear what Becky's saying and what I'm saying and realize that like, you can do it too. It, it, it takes hard work and it takes time, but these are achievable goals for, for piercers, uh, almost anywhere. I don't want to say everywhere because I know that there are so many different factors depending on where you are and your clientele and all that stuff. But a lot of these goals are, are, are achievable with enough planning and enough hard work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that sometimes um, there's this great cartoon and you don't have to leave this in if I explain it really badly, but it shows like somebody pushing a rock up a hill and it says, um, I'm still not at the top and the kind of halfway up. And then it says, but I look back and see how much further I am than where I started. And I've kind of always really liked that analogy in relation to certainly my own career, because quite often at those sort of transitional moments of kind of going for membership and, and making changes to the studio and all that sort of thing as well, it was very easy for it to feel a long way away. But then once you're looking back at where you were originally, you know, quite a lot's already happened. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes people lose perspective of how far they, they've really come, you know, uh, with with Lola as an example. Um, there, there are days where I feel like I didn't make any progress. There are days where Lola feels like she didn't make any progress. But business people are always going to have that feeling from time to time. And when she feels that way, I, I, I just have to kind of stop her in, in, in her tracks and tell her, like, look how far you've come in a relatively short amount of time, too, with how long she's had Forrest. And to see the growth uh, that, that she's done, you know, I've, I've known you for a handful of years and I've seen the, the growth and the hard work that you've put in. Um, and if there are people out there, maybe not if, if you're the person struggling, but if you know a piercer, if you have a friend out there, if there's someone where they've been, work, they've been working and they've been pushing, but they still feel like it's not good enough, you have to stop and you have to remind those people of their progress and how proud their friends and colleagues are of them. And, and you don't want to lose perspective of that. It doesn't matter how much progress you've made. It just matters that you've made some progress. And it's important to, to continually point that out to people and make them proud of their achievements. And you should be proud of, of what you've done with your studio. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting thing for me, like doing the role that I do with the UK APP because I'm doing like the outreach stuff and I'm doing the social media. I'm of course looking at a lot of piercing pictures all the time. And it is lovely to kind of see people's progress as well. Maybe not necessarily members, but of course the, the tag pages in and that sort of thing. And it is really nice to see sort of people's work growing and people's experience level growing as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned some improvements to your, your, your physical location to your building. Um, and, and I always get a, a kick out of when I, when I talk to UK piercers specifically, because they're always telling me how 
like rickety their pipes are and how old the building is and the infrastructure and all that stuff. And as an American piercer who really doesn't have very much culture and history compared to a lot of other countries, um, sometimes it's crazy when piercers tell me, well, I, I can't put in a sink or I can't put in a door or a wall or a light where I want it because this building is 400 years old and I'm not legally allowed to or it's just not even logistically possible. So did you have to deal with any of that kind of stuff, too? Yeah, so we're in a 17th century building. Um, so we're actually upstairs. It's a building. It, it apparently was an old school. I'm not sure if that was like in the 19th century, but it's now being split into various businesses. Um, so, so we're on the second floor. We're not at the very top, but we've got like lovely twisted oak beams and that sort of thing that are the original, um, the original beams of the building. And um, yeah, it, it's kind of been quite challenging, you know. Um, for example, if you drop something in my piercing room, it does actually roll to one corner because the building's so old that the floor's like not as level anymore. So, yeah. so it, it is sort of a pretty crazy space to work in because of that. But, um, but yeah, what we had to do, like when we took on our unit, we started off with tattooing and um. And there was already a room to use as a tattoo room. And then we built a room that was like when I sort of first started, that was like a piercing room, but with the, you know, processing equipment in there as well. And obviously, you know, it's one of those things that you don't know what you don't know. And, you know, with our licensing, they, they were willing to allow that. So, so we ran with it, but quite quickly as I sort of started to sort of learn more and understand more I could see how you know that was an issue in terms of hygiene and, and I needed to move away from it so to actually meet APP standards what we did is we had a massive refurb which essentially involved building another room that that's now my piercing room and then sort of converting what had been the piercing room just into a sterilization room mm -hmm. um but yeah, it, it was a lot of work. So like one of the challenges we had, because it's such an old building, you kind of can't do things that like are physically done to the building. It always has to be things that can be taken out. Mm -hmm. So like getting a sink, for example, we then had to use, um, I'm trying to think of the word for it, a macerator that then pumps water because it has to go slightly uphill to then go to where it's going to drain away and things like that. So we had to put sort of, those pipes and things externally we couldn't put them in like with the rest of the plumbing within the building and um and that was kind of one of the challenges all the time that it had to be things that could be removed if they needed to be removed sort of thing you know um as well as it kind of not damaging anything that are part of any of the original features yeah i I know a very small handful of U.S. piercers who have had similar experiences because they're in a historical building or historical district. But um, I think for for a much larger country, I, I maybe three or four shops that I can think of off the top of my head that have had those kinds of issues. But when it comes to the U.K., it's like every other person that I talk to who wants to do something, you know, reach U.K. APP or APP standards. They're like, oh well, I can't because of this or I can't because of that and I can't because of that. And it seems like it would be a really big challenge. 
Yeah, and that was the thing. I mean, how we actually did it is started off by kind of drawing various plans based on sort of what we already had and, and what we thought we could afford to do and, and could physically do. And I must admit, the first few things I drew out, just there was no way they were going to work. And like when I say drawing out, I don't mean anything like mathematical or spectacular. I literally mean like scraps of paper and, you know, pen and a ruler sort of thing. But just trying to get my head around, okay, what would you need in this room? What meets standards? You know, what can't be next to each other, if you see what I mean? All of these different things and then trying to work out, okay, how can we work it? And I think it probably took at least a year of kind of doing that and talking backwards and forwards. And um, I mean, I, I own the studio with my partner, Alexandra. She's a tattooist and she's very good at like knowing how things work and putting things together. So, so we did a lot of the work ourselves and um, we'd spend a lot of time like at the end of the day kind of standing in various places like okay so what if this was here and what if we had a wall here and there was kind of a a lot of that for a long time of just kind of like thrashing it out conversationally to try and understand what we might actually be able to do yeah well there's a a lot of thought i you know i i want to you know shine a light on what you're saying and how much thought goes into it. Like it's a lot of planning. And I, I think that the, the more planning that you, that you do uh, the better business you can have, because if you want to make those kinds of improvements, it, it really helps to plan it out and think it through and realize like, well, what can I afford now? What's maybe a long-term goal? What's important for me to achieve, you know, membership or whatever standards you're, you're operating under or whatever, and not trying to do it all, like in one day, you know, realizing that there's, there's time and effort, money, all these different things that go into it. So um, it, it seems like you have to jump through quite a, quite a few hoops to be able to do it, but it, it sounds like you, you had a really good plan. Yeah. So what we did, we actually, we had to close to be able to do it because of course, like it, it is a super small space that we're in and really the only way we could do what we did was to move everything into one room and kind of almost like block it off everything that we wanted to keep and use and then figure things out from there in terms of like building the new room and the the new front desk as we moved where that was and um it was one of those things it did feel like an enormous slog at the time and kind of a bit unachievable even as we were halfway through it but it's definitely been worth it just in in not just in terms of like the membership but just in terms of in designing a space to work in as a piercer knowing a lot more than when I started out it's just sort of much easier I I don't want to say like ergonomic or anything like that but it, it works for the way that I work and there's kind of enough space for everything that I need to use as well yeah it kind of goes back to what I would want to tell baby piercer Ryan and um you know I I, I've moved my shop a few times over over a you know a 20-year career and um if I had stayed put in that original location or if I hadn't invested in like you know renovations and improvements and things like that I could probably still be piercing in that original space, but I don't think that I could be piercing at the level I am today and the, the flow and like, you know, even the, the hygiene levels and things like that. So 
whether you've been in business for for one day or, or 10 years, whether you're you're making a plan to start a business, you know, you, you have to you have to think all this stuff through. How am I going to to work? You draw those diagrams. You know, I I did draft after draft of a, of a floor plan and a layout until it until it made sense on paper, because you don't want to like, you know, just throw something together and then a year down the road, you outgrow it or you realize like, oh shit, I should have put the sink on this wall and, and not this wall, or I should have put a door here instead of here or whatever. So you, you really want to stop and think it through and and then think of it as an investment in, in both time and money um, for your, for your future career growth. Yeah. And I, I think that's the thing. I think a lot of the sort of changes that you make to how you're working at the time almost seem quite scary because you think oh well will I ever see sort of the return from that particularly when you are talking like a huge outlay like a refurbishment but I think you know you always do even if it's gradual because it, it doesn't just change the space for you but it changes the space for the clients coming in and I know totally. straight away I was like I was definitely, you know, selling more expensive pieces. Clients were interested in more, you know, unusual things just from the fact that we changed the space and it just suddenly felt, I think, more premium, I think is probably the best way to describe it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's a great, that's a perfect way to describe it. O over time, if you improve your environment, if you make it look like a more reputable, trustworthy kind of place. Like if you make it look like a higher end studio, a higher end salon kind of feel or something, you're probably going to attract clientele that feels more comfortable in that environment. You, you can always have a, a shop that reflects your own personal interests. You know, you as a piercer, me as a piercer, probably in your home, you have a lot of decorations that you might not put in the shop because you want to have your comfortable place. But when it comes to the business, you want to have it be comfortable for the clientele. And if everything is like dark or dingy or old or beat up or covered in stickers or whatever, that might appeal to a certain kind of clientele, but it might not appeal to the clientele that you want to come through the door and, and buy those expensive pieces and bring their friends and bring their kids and whatever. Um, so in, investing in your studio, the same way that you would invest in growth for your jewelry or your social media presence or your education or all those things like you want to think about all those different aspects for, for growth and improvement. And um, it's definitely a worthwhile investment. I, I've seen it be a, a worthwhile investment for so many studios. I've lost count. Like, you know, you, you make the space and it brings in the clientele. So um, is there anything else on your mind? Yeah, I, I think we've probably covered everything that, that I was thinking of. Well, you know, this this is a pretty good place to wrap it up then. Just to refresh some people uh, UK APP conference is going to be uh, closing registration. The UK APP Instagram is at safepiercing underscore UK. Um, and the UK APP website, which is where you can buy your conference tickets. Um, the conference is the 25th to the 27th of September. And the website is ukapp.org.uk. Okay, so to find me, it would be um, at piercings at Ink House on Instagram, and that's Ink House spelt I N K H A U S, so like as in Bauhaus. And um, we also are on Facebook, which is Ink House Tattoo and Piercing, and we're in um, Yarm in Teesside, which is in the northeast of England. All right, great. 
Well, I appreciate you making time for me, Becky. It was good to chat with you. Yeah, no worries. It was really good to talk about everything. And we'll see you at the conference. Yes, you will. I'll see you in... Uh, mm-hmm. it, it feels like it's like right down the road, you know, but it's still, uh, you know, more than off. But um... yeah, I think it feels like it's creeping ever closer now, you know, as... Um, as we're getting kind of more ticket sales in and that sort of thing. And as I said, you know, we have nearly sold out, which is really exciting, particularly as we made more available this year. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, looking forward to it. It should be a really good event. All right. Well, uh, you have yourself a good night and I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. All right. Thanks for talking to me, Becky. I always appreciate the time, especially when somebody's busy planning a conference. Uh, If you're interested, again, in that UKAPP conference, check out the website, ukapp.org. Get registered for that sooner rather than later. Probably a good idea because it's getting close to selling out. Uh, I'm heading to Brazil for a week. I'll try my best to get an episode uh, ready for you while I'm there, but who knows? I might just want to relax with my friends and uh, take some classes and just have a good time. I've got uh, a new Filtrum video for you coming up very soon on Patreon, patreon.com slash RyanPBA. And I do still have registration open for that seminar outside of Chicago on Monday, September 5th. I'm doing a lot of different classes there. If you're interested, check out my website, ryanpba.com, or send me an email at ryanpba at gmail.com. I'll be back with another episode for you soon, and thanks for listening. For more information about the show, visit piercingwizardpodcast.com or like Piercing Wizard Podcast on Facebook. For more info about your host, visit precisionbodyarts.com or search Ryan PBA on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. If you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcast, and Google Play. Music by Benny B. Blanco. Show copyright 2017, Precision Body Arts, LLC. All rights reserved. <laughs>